What an HBCU means to me is friendship. So I met them in 2003. And what is it, 2021? So lifelong friendships. That's what it means to me. Yes. And I think an HBCU is a nurturing environment that puts us African-Americans in a great spot, especially when we go into our endeavors, whatever your career may be. It sets you up for success. Did you have anything? It's dope. That's it. How you guys doing? I am Timothy McDonald. I am a senior chemical engineering major from Baltimore, Maryland, and I have the pleasure of serving as a 44th Mr. Howard University. Being on campus is the epitome of black excellence, I would say. Being surrounded by people not only of black minds, but black minds who are willing to challenge you. Um, that's something that I hadn't faced in high school. I went to a majority white high school, right? And I just didn't have a lot of people that looked like me. And once I came to Howard, I knew that it was home. I knew that it was a place I had to be for the next four years. And even though we have been in a pandemic and it's been hard, now that we're back, it feels like, you know, just an outpour of good times, vibes, and just being around black people. It's like a cookout, right? But all day, every day. So that's something I really enjoy. So our chant is something that you got to learn, which is H-U, you know. That's something you, you do maybe a thousand times in the first week alone. So that is something. And it kind of uh, transcends classes, right? You can have alumni from 96 all the way back to 66, and they're going to know H-U, you know, right? So it's, it's that chant that we hold near and dear to our heart. Well, thank you so much, Mr. No problem. No problem. I'm TT And I'm Zakia. And from Spotify, this is Dope Labs. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dope Labs, a weekly podcast that mixes hardcore science, pop culture, and a healthy dose of friendship. Okay, Zakia, I have a question for you. Shoot. What do Spike Lee, Toni Morrison, W.E.B. Du Bois, Thurgood Marshall, Jerry Rice, Felicia Rashad, and Debbie Allen all have in common? Mmm, fantasy dinner wish list? Yes, but also, <laughs> they all went to historically black colleges and universities. So, HBCUs. Yes. And that's right on time because it's Black History Month. And this week, we're focusing on HBCUs. We're covering everything from history to homecoming. We're delving right into the HBCU experience. You know, HBCUs have been in the news. They've been in the media. We've seen them portrayed positively. 
We've seen students complaining about conditions at different HBCUs. So remember in D.C. at Howard, we saw some folks protesting. Yeah, about their housing conditions. Yes. And Howard is not alone. A couple of other schools have seen some similar things happening, some similar feedback from their students. Mm -hmm. Then recently, just earlier this month, do you remember when all the bomb threats were called into the HBCUs? Oh, my goodness. That was so scary. Yeah. So... You know, I feel like we're seeing positive things, but also negative things Mm -hmm. and outside influences, just so much going on. But I think there's still a lot to celebrate about the HBCU experience. And Zakia, I am really excited about this because you went to an HBCU. Yes, I am a graduate of Hampton University. And so I can't wait to reminisce and talk about some of my HBCU experience. Those were some formative years. I cannot wait. Let's get into the recitation. (laughs) All right, so what do we know? Today, there are just over 100 HBCUs in the United States, and that equals about 3% of our colleges and universities, both public and private. Many of our HBCUs are located in the southern states, and Alabama has the most HBCUs per state, with 12 total. Another thing that we know is that HBCUs play a huge part in education, and we are particularly focused on STEM education and addressing inequalities in STEM education. Yes. As a matter of fact, about 27% of Black undergrads got their STEM degrees from HBCUs. And if you look at Black doctors in the U.S., 50% of them are HBCU graduates. Not to mention, in my field of engineering, 46% of Black women engineers graduate from HBCUs and 30% of Black doctorates in science and engineering are from HBCUs. You know, HBCUs have been underfunded for decades. And we're starting to see some lawsuits and cases where states are having to pay up. So just last year, the governor of Maryland, Hogan, signed a settlement for $577 million to go to Maryland's HBCUs. What they found is that the whole statewide system of education for Maryland was disproportionately sending funds to primarily white institutions and underfunding the four HBCUs under their care. So over the next 10 years, they will disperse those funds back to those schools. The 25 largest predominantly white institutions, their endowments are greater than the endowments of all the HBCUs combined. So what do we want to know? I know that there's a lot that I want to know (laughs) because I didn't go to HBCU, unfortunately. So I've got a lot of questions because I feel like it'll help me know my friend even better. Mm. Well, we're going to focus on a couple things. Friendship and camaraderie, mentorship and stewardship, how attending an HBCU might affect your identity. So the Black experience and different perspectives and campus life. And then we'll talk about how HBCUs have been portrayed in the media. But one component of that that we have to touch is homecoming, which is a celebration of coming together and being back on campus. I know we said three things, but I couldn't stop. (laughs) (laughs) I am very excited to dive in. So let's jump into the dissection. Today, we are so excited to have our friend Xavier Jernigan on the show. He's going to be talking to us all about his HBCU experience as well as Zakia. So we got two experts today. 
I'm Xavier Jernigan. Everybody calls me X. I'm the host of the Get Up Spotify's Daily Morning Show. And I'm also an exec at Spotify. And I'm a proud, proud Florida A&M University FAMU Rattler. I bleed orange and green. Yes, I said it. <laughs> orange and green. Choosing a college, if you decide to go to college, is a really big deal. Choosing the right college, choosing a place where, you know, you'll feel comfortable to further your education is a really big deal. And as you can hear, we have someone who is very proud of their institution on the show. We asked X to tell us why he chose an HBCU and where his beginnings of his love for HBCUs kind of started. My hometown, Daytona, is an HBCU city. So I grew up around it. My aunt and uncle worked there. My cousin Zach was section leader of the drumline at Cook. My cousin Terry, his sister, uh-huh. went to Cookman. We always went to the homecoming parade. Zach will march by me and my brother and show out in front of us and wink at us. And then me and my brother became drummers. So it sounds like your HBCU experience started when you were really, really young. Very young. I have definitely heard that with a lot of people that I know that went to HBCUs. Mm-hmm. They were exposed to HBCU cultures young. And I do think that's a big part of it, like your exposure to it. And I grew up on like school days came out when I was a little kid. Mm. And in a different world was like yes. those were my formative years. X is making a really good point, TT. Mm-hmm. I feel like over the past couple of years, there has been so much HBCU exposure in the media. Absolutely. If you think back to Beyonce's homecoming mm-hmm. at Coachella, that performance. Yes, yes. I've even recently seen Lil Nas X did something. It wasn't HBCU-centric, but it definitely gave me homecoming vibes. Yeah, definitely drumline, homecoming, you know, things like that. So X talks about exposure in the media that kind of drove his love for HBCUs as well, specifically School Days, which was written, directed, and produced by Spike Lee, who graduated from Morehouse, an all-male HBCU. And School Days also gives a good view of, yes, the HBCU experience, but Mm -hmm. in particular, the Black Greek experience. And TT, you know a little bit about that. Yes, the Divine Nine. It's made up of nine fraternities and sororities. And I am a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So like going up to the campus, me and my mom and my brother would go up there and just hang out in my Aunt Helen's office or my Uncle James's office. And just being in that environment. And then my mom went to Cookman. And a big part of my story, y'all, so my mom had me and my brother young. My mom was about to enter her freshman year at Bethune-Cookman. At 18, she was pregnant with my brother. I come along in the next summer. She still keeps going. But then it was too much. Yeah. So she didn't finish. But all throughout growing up, y'all, she will always say to me and my brother, I'm going to go back one day. Mm-hmm. And just a few years ago, my mom finally went back oh my to Bethune-Cookman nice. University. And she was able to finish that degree. And then she went on and got her master's because she's a G. That's the HBCU experience. And Zakia, listening to X, it really brings back memories from stories that you've told me about mm-hmm. your upbringing and your experience at Hampton. Because you grew up in Greensboro, so you were near HBCU. Yes. What X is saying resonates so much with me because I grew up in Greensboro, and that's where North Carolina A&T is, and it's where Bennett College is, which is a women's HBCU. It's a huge university town. I was talking to somebody, and I was saying, hey, I know you went to A&T, but would it be strange for me to have an A&T sweater? And they're like, you didn't go to A&T. But I feel like A&T raised me. Yep. When I think about 
my trajectory, my path to science. I always say it started with these Saturday academies for math and science at North Carolina A&T. Yeah. My mom was going back to school at A&T while I was in middle school. And so Saturdays I was going to these academies, learning more math and science and doing like the SAT and PSAT training. And then by the time I got to high school, one of my first summer jobs was working on A&T's campus in the Ron McNair building, which was named after Ron McNair, who was a black astronaut. Mm -hmm. And my first exposure, TT, was in your lane. In engineering. Mm -hmm. I was doing some civil engineering stuff with the Army Research Lab in North Carolina A&T. And that was like my first hands-on science internship that I was doing. Yes. You know, TT, I feel like there's been a lot of conversation about high school students and just people in general when it comes time to deciding, okay, yes, I am going to college. Do I want to go to an HBCU or a predominantly white institution or an Ivy League, you know, I feel like we've been seeing a trend towards high-profile students going to HBCUs. Exactly. Travis Hunter, he was a top college recruit for the class of 2022 for football, and Mm -hmm. he chose to go to HBCU, Jackson State University, instead of Florida State University. He switched his commitment and is now attending Jackson State. We talked to X about this a little bit, too, because that's not a new sentiment. You know, the concern about... What does it mean if you choose an HBCU early in your career? And he's heard some different arguments against it as well. There's like this argument out there. It's like, oh, don't go to an HBCU because that's not the real world. But when do you get another time to be around your true peer group? Not just age, age and people with a similar experience from you, like cultural experience for a five year period in my life. And what that does is it removes, at least on that campus, race. There is no black student union. It's just the student union Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we're 90 percent black. And it's just this loving, welcoming space. It's truly the definition of what a safe space is. It gives you this confidence to know that you can go out in the world after and truly know who you are. When we're talking about HBCUs, we're talking about schools that were the only schools that could and would educate black folks. Yes. When they didn't want us at the other schools. For me to choose to go there is just something really special. To me, the college experience was the black college experience and that's the only experience I wanted. So I only applied to Howard, FAM at the time and I got accepted to both. You know, my brother was at Howard. FAM had the five-year MBA. I went to FAM, it was that simple. And it was the best choice of my life. Never regretted it. Loved every day I was there. Even the bad days were special. The bonds you form, they care. Like fam's motto was excellence with caring. And that's Mm. real. Like Mm. we're going to push you to be great. We're going to care about you, but we're going to hold you accountable. And if you're messing up, we're going to tell you. So I had, you know, a mom from home, Dr. Harper, my heart. Like she held me down, man. It's just a special, special experience. I think we all can think back to, you know, special people who guided us or kept us on the Mm -hmm. right track Mm -hmm. as we were moving through our academic careers. Yes. And I always love this story that you tell about Dr. White. I met 
a woman, her name was Dr. Gladys Hope Franklin White. She came to my high school and she was like, hey, I want to talk to people that want to go to college. She was an alumna of Hampton University. I told her what I wanted to do. She said, have you taken the SAT? I have these Saturday classes. I mean, it was very much a community and nurturing kind of thing. That's right. I love that. She said, come to my church. The admissions officer will be here. You can apply in person. You can tell your story, talk to them. Come on. And I got a full ride that day to Hampton when I went to meet with the admissions officer. That's big. That's huge. And I had no clue. This woman was just helping me. She helped all these other people. She had helped my friend Randy the year before. And when I actually went to visit Hampton, I was like, oh, Gladys Hope Franklin White Hall. This is her dorm. (laughs) She earned that, though. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people in that dorm. This type of community shows up in different places. So I was able to do admissions at a local church. But this is no different from some of the offers to interview applicants to Duke or to other schools that we get as alums, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a story you hear in a lot of different spaces. White folks do this all the time. Yes. The good old boys club exists. And what HBCU grads and HBCU faculty and staff do is just that giving people opportunity and chances that they might not be aware about or say, Mm -hmm. hey, I know somebody that you can talk to. They're giving you additional resources that your white counterparts are getting. We see it all the time. It just feels so special to see these folks, you know, Have you ever met on any other traditional, you know, PWI campus? Have you ever met the person that the dorm is named after? Have they ever come and recruited you and your friends? No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And that type of love and care, that is central to the HBCU experience. And I think we try to do it across the board. I've tried to bring TT into the HBCU fold. Yeah, I have my Hampton sweatshirt that now I'm afraid to wear because I wore it in the airport because I was going to visit Zakia. It was for her birthday. I was meeting up with her and all of her friends from Hampton. QT6, right. all the girls yes. from, the, from the dorm, everybody. Mm-hmm. So I put on my Hampton sweatshirt and I was in the airport and beautiful black woman comes up to me and she says, I like your sweatshirt. And I said, thank you. That wasn't the right answer. (laughs) She knew I was a fraud. She knew that I did not go to Hampton and I was mortified. I started sweating. I was like, "Uh, um, um." that sweatshirt got so heavy. It felt like a million pounds in that moment. I was just like, someone help me get this off. Help me get this off. Put your bulletproof vest on all of a sudden. For real. And that's what it is. The HBCU experience. People are holding you accountable. They're like, do you belong in that Hampton shirt? Are you really a Hamptonian? And there's so much nuance even from university to university and even when you get to a school TT Mm -hmm. little groups at that school absolutely as we know black people are not a monolith and there are lots of different types of black folks and you and X told me about your experiences on your HBCU campuses and your exposure to different black upbringings and lifestyles most of my friends growing up came from single parent homes Mm. I thought that was the norm because that was all my friends. I went to fam. I was in the minority when it came to that. So my roommate, Lance, he had both his parents in the house. My boy, Brian, both parents. Alita, both parents. Erica, both parents. Kamal, both parents. I got this other experience and I needed that, Mm y'all. I didn't know I needed it until I met a whole bunch of people who had an opposite experience coming from the black community. Zakia, what about you? 
I can remember my first day coming on the campus. Similar to you, X, you know, I just thought my experience is my experience. This is mm-hmm. Black folks in the South. Virginia is still the South to me. Right. It's true. My guy. <laughs> when I got there, <laughs> I was like, who are all these people dressing different? I always tell TT because TT's from PG County. And so I always mm-hmm. tell her, the Maryland and Baltimore people oh, are dressing like balance. ninjas. They had, the yeah, they had new, it was New Balances. <laughs> it was Nike ACG boots. Mm-hmm. There were all these little microcosms of blackness that I didn't That's even right. know about. There were stratifications of class, socioeconomic mm-hmm. status, exposure to different things, things that were related to geography, language difference that you could just pick up on and hear, yep. exposure to music, culture, just so much. And I grew to appreciate mm. Black culture in such a way that I hadn't experienced and hadn't appreciated before. And so I was meeting people for the first time from the Caribbean. One of my closest friends my first year, she came in and she was already married. That was unheard of to me. Oh, Wow. One of my other exposures from Hampton is everybody I knew up until then, what I considered to be middle class or doing well. Mm -hmm. When I got to Hampton, I met folks whose parents were in entertainment or show business or Mm -hmm. were lawyers. And my parent is about to be a judge. This is how we do their campaign. Like things that I was never exposed to. People whose parents were doctors. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody who was a doctor before Mm -hmm. that. Just meeting other people who look like you. And it opened the world of possibility for me. I totally agree. You see somebody that that looked like they could be your uncle Mm. or your dad. That's big to see that at like 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Right. So it contributes to the if you can see it, you can be it mentality. So I've heard a lot of things about life on campus at HBCUs. Some things like dress codes curfews and Mm -hmm. things like that. I really wanted to know more about that. Hampton had a lot of rules our first year. We couldn't have a car as a freshman. Yeah, It was in by like nine or 11 or something like you need to be in the dorm. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have co-ed dorms. We didn't either. And we had a dorm mother or a father, somebody who stayed in the dorm. Mm -hmm. And our dorm mother, her name was Mrs. Charity. And T.T., you remember on my birthday, we recorded a video message for my dorm mother, Mm -hmm. who we all still keep in touch Mm. with all these years later. And so there was just this feeling of community. And when you got in trouble, you would not appear as a Hampton University student on the news. You would appear as a former Hampton University student, and they would call it out (laughs) by 5, because you would be expelled (laughs) by 5 p.m. That's real. It was very strict. You know, one of the things at FAM... The dorms were separated. Mm-hmm. So if you went to visit a girl, you couldn't go past the lobby. And when you stepped in the building, you had to give an ID, mm-hmm. sign in, and be approved. And all you could do was sit in the lobby. And it was doors that were locked on either side of the lobby. Yes. Ain't no sneaky links. No sneaky links. <laughs> it's real. No sneaky links. Nah, it ain't going down. <laughs> and you see all these guys lined up on the stairs. Mm-hmm. Like waiting for the girl they want to talk to. I just remember hearing stories about people sneaking people into the dorms. That's not happening with the girls' dorm, but it was a way to do it <laughs> in Samson Hall where I stayed. Another story for another day. Okay, so that's curfew. What about dress code? Talking about dress, going to the School of Business and Industry, SBI, there were certain dress that we had to wear for certain events. We had to wear a certain dress code on certain days. Blue suit for men, Mm. not black, blue or power gray. It was teaching us how to be ready 
for the corporate world. And they'll yes. be like, listen, you're going to yeah. get judged on the way you look. So do you want to get discriminated against because you don't know the proper dress and the proper etiquette in mm -hmm. the business environment? Because you already got certain things to deal with as black folks. But we're going to go in there and we're going to be dope. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I remember receiving something in the mail that said, you need to have a black pant or skirt suit. You need mm -hmm. to have a white dress. That was for convocation. There's a building on campus called Ogden Hall. And there's a circle in front of it. And there's, first of all, some superstition that you don't walk across the grass in Ogden Circle or you won't graduate on time. Mm. But the way they told us, this is how you dress when you come to Ogden Hall. This was like our auditorium. So when people were describing attire for events, it would say, you wear your Ogden's best. I like that. Mm. To different things, right? I'm coming in my Ogden's best. Yes, we knew <laughs> what we were supposed like to that. have on. And... Mm. You just got used to dressing up. You got used to being comfortable in those clothes. If it's your turn to present in class, you're dressing up. You're not presenting in oh, your that's right. jeans. Not happening. I presented in pajamas. <laughs> what was wrong with me? You know, like, why wouldn't you think these people are important people? Clearly, they're professors. Why wouldn't you try and impress them? And you've seen this in person, TT. Remember when we went to A&T and gave that talk? Everyone was so impressive. Folks came in their Ogden's best, okay? And they were ready. First of all, <laughs> when folks would stand up, everyone knew the exact spiel to give to introduce themselves. So they would say their name. They would say what year they were. They would say mm -hmm. where they were from. And then they would proceed with their question. That's right. We were taught that. Good afternoon. I'm Xavier Jernigan. I am a fourth year MBA student from Daytona Beach, Florida. Same thing. We got taught that in SBI. That was like week one. Oh, you know what else too? Handshakes. We got taught how to do handshakes, look yes. each other in the eye, and then do that with the introduction as well. Mm. As a freshman, we had to go around with a notebook. It was called a nothing book. Mm. And you carried it around your first semester, and you had to have upperclassmen sign it. But you had to go up to them and give the proper introduction. They'll okay. correct you if the handshake was wrong. Like, no, you do it like this. Okay, try it again. And once you got it right, then they would sign your nothing book. And you had to get three signatures a week for like the whole first semester. So you had to go up to professors to, oh to upperclassmen wow. until you got it down. We didn't have a book like that, but there was something very similar about this culture of each one teach one, right? The upperclassmen yes. looking out. Mm -hmm. And everybody had like big brothers and big sisters, like folks who mm. looked out for you and your crew told you what you needed to be mm -hmm. doing. Like, these are the classes mm. you should take. Here's who you should talk to. That's right. There's a class where you learn all the presidents of the school before. Oh my like you gosh. had to learn that. We had to learn our alma mater. We had to learn the Negro National Anthem. We sung the Negro National Anthem before every forum. And mm. forum was like a big thing on Tuesdays and Thursdays where a big executive from a company, for example, mm. Ken Chenault from Amex came down. Wow. A, a bunch of people. Major. Did. But this was every week. They'd give a speech wow. and a student would introduce them and then we had to ask questions for grades. So I go into corporate America, I had the confidence to ask CEOs questions. Mm. Yes. So we would have mock dinners and we would have receptions where different companies would come in that have relationships with FAM and SBI. We're going to know how to move in these rooms and you're going to know how to dress and what proper fork to use when you're at dinner. That was so special and so important. So when you had your interviews and did your internships, you were really confident right. in there. And I carry a lot of that with me today. And there's also just so much culture around being the product of an HBCU. So like different songs you sing and poems to know, just all kinds of stuff like that. You also get that education too. And 
it's so valuable. And I think we see more and more people appreciating that as they learn that that's part of the HBCU experience. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll have much more with X when we get back. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And we're back. Let's jump into our deep dive with guest expert Xavier Jernigan on HBCUs. So my next question is about HBCUs in the media. X, I know that you have mentioned school days and how important that was to you. And we also talked a little bit about a different world, which I was absolutely fascinated by growing up and watching that. I binge watched A Different World again And it just gets better and better with age. And it really highlights another point that you and Zaki were making about the nuance of Blackness. Do you feel like all of the different TV shows that are set at HBCUs are accurate in their depiction of HBCU culture? I was so fortunate. One of my favorite interviews so far that I've done on The Get Up is I got to sit down with Mm -hmm. Yvette Lee Bowser, GOAT. She created... Living Single, the first Black Mm -hmm. woman to create a network sitcom. Friends took that archetype. Sex Mm -hmm. in the City took that archetype. She was a writer and a producer on A Different World. I thought A Different World totally nailed it. I experienced that as a little kid. Mm -hmm. Then I went to FAM, and then my appreciation for A Different World went on another level. Mm Because it was just like, yo, they really got that right. I heard that A Different World was based off of Hampton. Is that true? I think it was an amalgamation of a few schools. I think mm-hmm. it was, Like, too. I know it was Spelman's campus that they shot, like, the exterior scenes, like, when they show a campus. But the fictitious school, mm-hmm. Hillman, was mm-hmm. actually in Virginia. And they would go to D.C. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yes. When I think about it, I feel like every show from our time really depicts it well. I feel like I have a friend that fits every one of those types yes. of characters. Right? Yes. And I think about shows like Martin, where people are wearing HBCU yes. gear and stuff like Living that. Living single I, as well. Living mm-hmm. single. It feels mm-hmm. like that. People are still friends. You meet other people's friends from college. It's all this connectedness. So at Hampton, we had two cafeterias. Mm-hmm. We did too. We did too. One was the big main cafeteria. Yep. And on the other side of the kitchen for that cafeteria was a smaller seating area yep. that mm. they called the little calf. Okay. So they're connected. They were connected, but they were only connected by the kitchen. Mm. So they had different entrances and stuff. Okay. And 
It's just so crazy to me that different HBCUs, they find the smallest things to claim and represent. It's not just, oh, I went to this school. It's not just, oh, I was this kind of major. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was in this dorm. Uh It's also like, I'm team little calf. I saw Justin Tinsley, who graduated from Hampton, and he's a writer. He just did that great podcast with Nipsey Hussle. Yes, the 30 for 30. Yes. He was tweeting and he said, team little calf. And it just brought back so many memories when I saw it because me, I'm team Big Calf. Okay. Then we're team Big Calf. (laughs) Was there a difference in the food? The vibes are totally different. Like one of them might have had a waffle station on Sundays (laughs) or they opened at different times. Like the Big Uh Calf opened at 4 p.m. I was opening up with the people. I'm like, let me help you push these chairs in (laughs) and get ready. I wanted to (laughs) eat my food right then. Mm. It was like clicks right there were always these older people who were like now baby you don't need to be eating this you've been having corned beef hash every day that's not good for you all of this stuff it just felt so true to my singular experience and now realizing it's true across all these experiences and really what I'm trying to say is that the portrayals of the HBCU experience that I see on television feel realistic to me Mm -hmm. Because they capture some of this nuance, even on a different world. The importance of Mr. Gaines. Yes. He was so important and a pillar in that community. And that was very real. Mr. Gaines was the cafeteria man. He was one of the cooks for the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. I think he was the head cook. And then some of the students would work for him. And he gave really great advice. He was very funny. And he was critical. And then you begin to realize that it's kind of true across all these different experiences, regardless of which HBCU you went to. Mm -hmm. It's like, "Mm, they really nailed it. Yes, there's this universal experience Mm -hmm. which bonds all of us that went to HBCUs. And, you know, we'll say HBCU pride. We'll shout that out and we'll try to go to each other's homecomings. I remember when Howard and fam played in D.C. We took a trip up to D.C., so I hung with my brother. And then one time he came down and surprised me and hung with me and my friends at fam, which was like one of my all-time favorite memories. And just hearing X talk about going to other people's football games, that makes me think about homecoming and What we all know, I don't care where you went to school. You know that HBCU homecomings are different, okay? They're built different, okay? Let's talk about it. Because it is something special to me. People care, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. We care about homecoming. My understanding that PWIs, people don't really care about homecoming. It's just a regular game. I have literally never gone back to homecoming. Right. (laughs) We make plans a year in advance. Like, you going to homecoming? You going to homecoming? When the football schedule is released, that day, we're booking rooms. It's like mm. that serious. And man, just to be there on campus again with mm-hmm. the outfits, all the fam gear. Because any fam event, you're going to have a sea of orange and green. Ain't nobody got school pride like mm-hmm. fam, I'm telling y'all. And you go mm-hmm. and you actually go see your professors. Wow. You email them before you go down. Like Dr. Yes. Harper, who I mentioned earlier, she retired. I went and saw Dr. Harper. And we both were like tearing up sitting there talking like it's it's that special how is it there Zakia I think back to five and six year old Zakia marching in Mm. the homecoming parade at A&T with my little dance troupe okay I think about tailgating on Sullivan Street and hanging out at my aunt's house down the street from the stadium Hampton felt a little different for me right when I was Mm. there I didn't care about the football team 
I wasn't particularly in love with the homecoming experience at Hampton, which may be like taboo to say, because I was always going back to North Carolina for the homecoming experience at A&T. Right. Which is known now as the greatest homecoming on earth. That's the biggest marketing shenanigans. <laughs> I know. I'm just. In I know. History. I know you were. I knew you wouldn't. Nobody like else it. calls I it don't that. Like that. No, man, because it's 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 a farce. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it, Aggies. And so I went to the predominantly black high school in Greensboro, mm. which is down the street from A and T, which they used to call Lil T where the marching band culture was really big. Mm. So the homecoming for high school would often be that Friday, and then it's A&T homecoming Saturday, right? So Mm -hmm. people would show up at my high school homecoming, the old heads would come back, and they're trying to out-cheer and out-march the current high school students. (laughs) And so for me, (laughs) it's always been going back, seeing my friends and family in Greensboro, I would bring my mm-hmm. college friends with me mm-hmm. from Hampton to come down and experience this. We would hang out all night on Friday. We would be coming into the house late. But at 7, my mom was coming and knocking on that door like, everybody ready to go to the parade? So we yep. were getting up to go. Early morning. Early morning to the parade. And you're out there all day tailgating, walking around. Who knows where you parked your car? You're probably blocked in. You're going to be there all day. People are riding up and down. High Point Road, all these places near the campus, and you're just running into people, tailgating the smells, the sounds, generators going. People were selling those mixed CDs. You can hear the game in the background. I never really went to the game, but I would always Mm, hear cheering. mm. I mean, it's a Mm -hmm. roar because there are so many people. And older folks coming back and asking you what you're doing with your life. How can they help you? What do you want to do next? Mm. It is such a communal affair. Everybody there is rooting for everybody else. Mm. I totally agree. They used to have huge concerts Saturday night. Of course. Of course. I remember my first homecoming concert I went to. It was Rough Riders. DMX was there. Jay-Z was there. It was the Hard Knock Life Tour coming through and hearing those things on the radio leading up to it. It is just excitement. It is celebration in its truest sense. So y'all have given us a little bit of background on the sites, but let's get into the sound of homecoming. Tell me about the bands. Yeah, so you got the guys with the flags. So the flag corps, they go hard. They throw them flags down and get to popping Florida style. Because we, we grew up on Booty Shake and, and bass. Zakia <laughs> mentioned the bass. But bass culture and car culture is everything. Especially Daytona, like home of NASCAR, yes. birthplace of auto racing. The drum majors, I think it's seven of them. And it was the first female drum major a couple of years ago. So Mm. that was a big deal. And Mm -hmm. she showed out. Now, the band on the field, you know, they got this fast march that FAMU is known Mm. for. And it's like a billion of them on the field. They're the marching 100, but that's a misnomer. It's literally like 400 of them guys out on the field. But they're going to play the contemporary music. I was watching a game on ESPN and they played Leave the Door Open, Bruno Mars and Silk Sign. I saw this. Right, you saw that? Oh, mm-hmm. at the end of their performance, they somehow, in a formation, formed a stick figure with a basketball, dunking it in a hoop. They did this on the field. <laughs> oh and you knew exactly what they were doing. It was the illest thing I've ever seen in my life with the marching band. Mm-hmm. 
do you remember Battle of the Bands? Of course. People used to go to Battle of the Bands and the bands yes. would show up. I don't even feel like Drumline really captured it. It didn't quite get it. Yeah. It was yeah. intense. They tried. It was intense. Yeah. Intense, y'all. But they'll also play classics because they're not trying to forget the people who came back. Right. The parents. They want to play music from your time, too. So uh-huh. everybody's singing along. Everybody's standing. So at PWI, homecomings or football games, halftime, that's when you go use the bathroom, mm-hmm. go eat. Go get, get back for the third dogs. quarter. Yep. So this is the truth. First quarter, super packed. Everybody's in the stands because it's the beginning of the game. Then about halfway through the first quarter, the only people who stand are the people who really care about the game. Everybody else is going below the stands to walk around in the stadium, mm-hmm. seeing people mm. showing off your outfit. This is a day outfit, and then you're going to change clothes for the go out later on. But by halftime, you have your butt in your seat and everybody's standing. We call it corner to corner like every corner of the stadium field. And it's beautiful because it's just a sea of black people all on one accord and the band's playing. We got a chant and it's fam you, fam you, fam got thing you. All right, all right, all right. Everybody's just singing the songs. They're hype. And then so the band kills it, right? They break mm-hmm. it down. They just basically throw their instruments down and just start popping Dance. and dancing like <laughs> hard. Then they pick up the instruments. They go off the field. But the last people off the field with the Marching 100 are the tuba players. And they form a line like a snake coming off the field. Literally all the tubas jump in the air and end on a split at the end, like dominoes. But the last tuba gets to show out and spin around and everybody's like, hey, and it's the dopest thing. So when the tuba player goes up in the air and goes down into the split, the whole crowd goes, whoa, boo. Everybody says that (laughs) in unison. And this is one thing too that I gotta tell y'all about the 100. When they march off the field, at the end of their performance, they always play good times. So that's what they march off the field on. It's like everybody gets it. It's just the most special thing you've ever seen in your life. And it's nothing like it. I just, I love it. If you are not sad about missing homecoming after hearing X describe that, you have no heart. You've never known a good time. <laughs> you ain't never had you fun have in no your soul. life. Never right. had fun in your life. That's right, TT. Never, ever, ever. Oh my gosh. I love everything about it. So thinking about all of this stuff, all of this is part of the experience. And it makes me reflect on what it means to be a product of an HBCU. Yes. There's just a certain je ne sais quoi about Mm -hmm. people who have graduated from an HBCU. There's a certain confidence, a level of intelligence, just a swag about them that's just different. And so I want you guys to kind of just talk about some of the great people from your institutions or just from HBCUs in general that have been really impactful on your lives and just what that means to both of you to be the product of an HBCU. Yeah, it's like a lineage that you're just so proud of, right, Z? Like, mm-hmm. yes. of course, if they go to FAM, I'm super hype about that. But if they went to an HBCU and they making noise, I go crazy. Yes, clap it up. <laughs> For me, it really feels like the people who are in my class and the class above me, I am still in awe of my peers. Me too. Okay? Mm. 
Yes. And TT knows some of my friends. And they I'm like, all are killing the game. Doctors, lawyers. Everybody's doing something. Yes. Because now we're at the stage where you're starting to see people pivot and you're like, yo, I didn't know you could do that. My friend and her husband both went to Hampton, Kia, who went to grad school mm-hmm. with us. And they've built this huge real estate vacation rental home empire. I'm like, girl, when did you learn this interior design? Kia has a PhD in the sciences. Yes. Anesthesiology. She studied <laughs> nociception, pain. And now she's selling real estate. You're taking these places. Mm. I'm like, you're about to be competing with Airbnb. <laughs> Is this legal? <laughs> when I got to Atlanta, I asked one of my really close friends from high school. I said, who do I need to know in Atlanta and who should I be helping? He's like, this is my homeboy mm. from Morehouse. He's running for city council. Here's somebody else, Board of Education. Like, you feel so proud of these folks. I feel so excited to say, I know them. They went to a HBCU and we should spend our dollars here, right? Giving right. back to folks who are trying to make these things happen. How do you support the people who are out here trying to do it? And people are saying, dope labs. Well, you got no dope labs just off the strength that I went to a HBCU. Same with the Get Up. We got a really big audience and the show's doing really great. But the fact that I get to be the current day representation of somebody who went to an HBCU and is just proud of that. And I bring those stories into the show. You're the modern day Dwayne Wayne. (laughs) Thank you. And you were on the show. TT, you've been on the show. But like for us to be able to represent that. I talk about my boy, Brian Price. I brag on him all the time. He's this dope marketing media exec. Mm-hmm. And Lance, my college roommate mm. from South Chicago, mm-hmm. he built the parachute on the Mars rover. He did the parachute. Wow. Call him right now. I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> I now have people who are like, yo, my kid wants to go to fam. Mm-hmm. Literally, today, I got a text and she texted me and was like, My 17-year-old niece listened to the Get Up for the first time yesterday and loved it. She's looking at HBCUs, FAMU's on her list. Can you come meet with us and talk to her about FAM? Mm. I was like, we're doing it next week. Like, (laughs) that's important. My friend's daughter, she's in her first semester at FAM. They stopped through Brooklyn on the way. I brought her two FAM hoodies, like top-of-the-line exclusive joints. Like, here, Mm. let me get you right. Mm -hmm. And when I go down there, I'm taking you out to dinner. And I got kids that ask me, yo, can you give me some fam gear? Yes, I will. I'm telling you, it touches me. It like makes me tear up every time. That's real. It just makes me think back. Mm-hmm. In my first year of grad school, I'm the grad school counselor right. for the summer program for students who are interested in science. So we're at Duke. Mm-hmm. And I have a young man who went to Winston-Salem State. He is like, huh, deer in the headlights. What do I do? This and that. Him and right. another young woman from Winston-Salem State. And to see them both become professors now in the sciences. He's a professor at Vanderbilt. She's a professor at Bowie State. Our family reunion used to have this saying, let the circle be unbroken, right? We just Mm. feeding into each other and let it expand, right? TT, get on in this circle. You're in here. (laughs) You got your Hampton sweatshirt. You in here. You in the fam. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to do my best to represent well. Yeah, it's looking out for the next generation, showing them it's good to be proud. Wear this like you wear Nike. Wear this like everybody Mm -hmm. wearing those Yale sweatshirts. Okay. And you can be a part of this. We're going to pull you in. We're going to tell you about it. And we're going to make a way for you to be able to do that is one of my greatest joys in my life right now. I love it. I really love this conversation. I love hearing about both of your experiences. I should have went to Hampton. (laughs) Thank you both so much for sharing all of this. 
it's been heartwarming just to be able to sit back and just listen to you guys talk about this. My honor. Y'all know I've been a day one Dope Labs fan, listener. Yes, you have. And I'm proud of what y'all doing. Really, I'm, I'm proud of how y'all represent for Black women and for your varied experiences. Because one thing I do talk about is I don't like if somebody that went to an HBCU tries to invalidate the experience of somebody that went to a PWI. Right. Mm -hmm. All of these experiences are valid. So I'm glad that you have two dope women on this show that represent both sides and a commonality because there's merit and value in all of it. That's the beauty of our people. All right, TT, it's time for one thing. I'm so excited. What's your one thing, Z? Well, we kind of already talked about my one thing in the episode. And if you follow me on social media, I've shared it too. My one thing is Corinne DeMarco. This is a brand that produces HBCU apparel, and I love their sweaters. That's where I got the sweater that TT talks about wearing and pretending that she was a Hampton alum. I... I'm a big fan of this brand, so please go support this small brand that's putting out great HBCU gear. That's Corinne DeMarco, C-O-R-I-N-D-E-M-A-R-C-O.com. My one thing is Corinne DeMarco. Perfect. <laughs> that's it for Lab 51. What'd you think? Did you learn something new about HBCUs? Call us at 202-567-7028 and tell us what you thought. Or if you have an idea for a lab we should do this semester, tell us that too. We really love hearing from you. That's 202-567-7028. And don't forget, there's so much more for you to dig into on our website. There'll be a cheat sheet there for today's lab and additional links and resources in the show notes. Plus, you can sign up for our newsletter. So check it out at dopelabspodcast.com. Special thanks to today's guest expert, Xavier Jernigan. You can find Xavier every weekday at 7 a.m. on Spotify's morning show, The Get Up. Reading our credits today is an HBCU grad, one of Zakia's longtime besties, and one of my new friends, Alana House. Yes, certified clown and a certified goon. <laughs> Hi, I'm Alana House, and I'm a proud graduate of Hampton University. In HBCU. I'm also a goon and a clown, as TT and Zakia shared, but also a scholar too. You can find Dope Labs on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast. TT is on Twitter at Dr. Underscore T Show. And you can find Zakia at Z Said So. Dope Labs is a Spotify original production from Mega Ohm Media Group. Producers are Jenny Rattlet Mast and Lydia Smith of Wave Runner Studios. Editing and sound design by Rob Smerziak. Mixing by Hannes Brown. Original music composed and produced by Takayasuzawa and Alex Sugiera. From Spotify, creative producer Candice Manriquez-Wren and Corinne Gilliard. Special thanks to Shirley Ramos, Yasmin Afifi, Kimu Ilolia, Teal Kratke, and Brian Marquis. Executive producers from Mega Own Media Group are T.T. Shodia and Zakia Watley. And I'm sending all of this to you from my teenage son's really stinky closet because it's the only quiet place in this whole house. 
pray for moms. Thanks for having me. I love you both. <laughs>